Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will stand of the goodness of God.
my Bible. Well, good morning. Forgot my Bible. It was funny. I was at a conference earlier in the year, and it was Alistair Begg, and he forgot his Bible, and he sent this um, one of his ministry interns to go get his Bible, and he comes back, and he looks at the Bible, and he goes, this is not my Bible. And so the guy runs off again, and um, he comes back with another Bible, and and he goes, what are, did you get this from the bookstore? And, um, and so rather than go and get his Bible, I think he went and got it. Anyway, he wanted large print, and um, I have large print. And um, you think it's really kind of funny, you know, the, the most important tool that you know you should have if you're a preacher is have your Bible. So I got it. And I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that we can worship and fellowship together. It's good to see you. What a wonderful way to start by singing about the goodness of God. He is faithful in all circumstances. He's faithful through all our trials and our troubles. He's good. He loves us. He's for us. He's not against us. And through good times and through bad, we can say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So welcome to Cross Timber on this somewhat cooler Sunday morning. It was nice to wake up and have a little bit cooler temperatures, and we are um, rejoicing in that. Just remember, as you're looking at your nice brown lawn and the crispy grass, to pray for the Lord to, to bring rain as he sees fit, because again, we find ourselves in the, in the throes of warm, dry weather, and we are desperately in need of, of rain but more importantly, we're desperately in need of God to, to reign His Spirit and pour out His Spirit on our, on us, on me, on you, on our community, that revival would come and, and bring about transformation that starts in each individual heart. Um, if you are visiting this morning, it is so good to you, for you to join us. We uh, appreciate you taking the time to be here with us this morning. If you're a regular attender, it's good to see you again and just have a few things to remind you of um, through announcement, and then we're going to take um, time to read Psalm 28, so you may want to find that in your Bible. But before we get going, let me just say, if you are visiting this morning and you would like to know more information about the church or share your information with us, we have a little card. looks just like this. You can fill it out, put it in the offering plate, which we'll pass in just a few moments. Also, if there's prayer requests that we can join in praying with you about, just list those on the back of the card. There's a place for it. Put that in the offering plate as well. And just check if you want us to keep that private or if it's okay to share it over the email. And we'll do um, what you ask us in that regard. But let me just remind you a few things. First of all, just to let you know, um, we do have two new Sunday school classes. One started last week. One started today. And just to, to let you know, we've kind of filled in some of the gaps that we have. We have a preschool class. So if you have um, a pre-K grandchild, child, neighbor, let them know. We have teachers that are trained and ready, and we're excited about that. So that's um, a new class. We also have a couples class that is ready and waiting. So you have two categories. If you know somebody that's not in Sunday school and that might be interested in Sunday school, invite them. Or if you're one of those folks that, man, you've just never really plugged into a Sunday school class, and you and your wife you know, look at each other and say, hey, let's give it a try. It would be great for you to, to join with them, um, with the Ennises and with the McIntyres. Um, both of those opportunities will just help us to kind of um, better um, fit the needs of all that we have. And just let me say it just in general about Sunday school. If you come for Sunday school, which starts at 930, we have a place for you. We have cool rooms, soft chairs, and qualified teachers. And coffee in both buildings. So um, we've got you covered. Let me just tell you about two more things. We are still collecting items for Harvest House. School is 
approaching quickly. So if you want to help out um, families purchase school supplies, if you like to do that, if the smell of, of crayons um, you know, just helps you to be a little bit nostalgic or you just remember markers or, or paper and things like that and you want to gather some of those items, you can put them in the box here and we pat those on to Harvest House and they spread those out around our community. Or if you're one of those folks that say, hey, I'd like to help, but I'm not really going to go to the store and do that, um, there's opportunities there to, to give online or to donate um, directly to Harvest House for school supplies. So, And you can read that information on the red box that's outside. And then lastly, next Sunday evening, which is the, the 30th, we will be having our Ice Cream Fellowship and Cross Timber Talent Show. A number of folks have signed up. It's still not too late to sign up. There's a sign-up sheet out there on the table. But I do need to let you know, if you do need to, to practice, you know, if you're, if you're singing and need to use a microphone and to practice, um, two things. It will be next Sunday at 5 o'clock before we start at 6, and you need to see Jeff. So if you want to practice, you need to be here at 5, but before you show up at 5, you need to let Jeff know um, so um, we know how to plan and prepare for that. And that's going to be next Sunday evening. Um, if you're not participating in the talent show and maybe your talent is preparing ice cream, then do your talent to the glory of the Lord. Um, if your talent is eating ice cream, this is the time for you. Just show up, and it will be a wonderful time. But we will celebrate the talents of all, no matter what they are, next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. I'd like us to read Psalm chapter 28 before our deacons come. It was written by David, as many of the Psalms were. And the title in my Bible is, The Lord is my strength and my shield. Some of the words of David. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my plea for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Gentlemen, will you come? Let's pray. Our holy God and Father, we give you thanks for again to be able to come to this place of worship and be able to worship you in spirit and in truth as we hear your word broken to us, the loaf of bread broken to us, and uh, for our encouragement, for our 
Thank you. 
Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with only thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace.
Thank you. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we'll, we'll be in just a moment, and I hope you have your Bible, because I found mine, and I've got it with me, and I might get it on a chain, might help me. It is so good to sing songs of worship and then follow that up by just opening up God's Word together. It's, uh, it's better than sharing a meal, I'm honestly. Meals are good, but just being able to feast on the abundance of what God has given us in His living Word is such a wonderful privilege. And aren't we, um, aren't we blessed to have you know, the Bible in print that we can read that stood the test of time and can speak to us? Um, whether we read it, whether we think about it, whether we listen to it, whether we sing it, God's Word is faithful in its truth. This morning we're to, all the way to the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to talk more about Jesus as the high priest. And the idea this morning is um, not to help through the storm that you see there, but that the high priest, Jesus is the high priest that we need. It's the first ten verses of Hebrews. And if we can just be honest with one another for a minute, even though we don't like to admit, admit it, every one of us um, suffers from the same condition weakness. You think, well, I'm not weak. You know, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. You know, I've got physical strength, I've got willpower, I've got smarts, you know, I've got everything. Well, just be honest, we're, we're weak. We're not nearly as smart as we think we are. We're not nearly as strong as we feel like we are, or we would think we are, because there are things we don't know. <laughs> there are things we think we know that we really don't understand, and in a way, you could say that we are ignorant. never got to say that word much when I was growing up. My mom didn't like it. But as I've come to understand the meaning of it, it just means that you don't know something. And we're all ignorant. There are things that we don't know. We operate continually, in many circumstances, from a lack of correct information. And without correct information, we're only left with incorrect information or our own speculation or our own ideas, and it often runs into trouble. And as a result, you know what happens? We don't always make the right choices. We easily get off track from what we intend, and you could say that we are wayward children, wondering where we're supposed to go, wandering around trying to get there, and sometimes we're even just unaware that we're even on the wrong path. We're plagued with weakness. Crippled by our own ignorance, and we wander and we struggle, hoping some way to find what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to do it. Bottom line, we, we need help. Everybody needs help. Now, you may have had somebody say to you, you know, you need to get some help. Well, let me just honestly say to all of us, we need to get help, but the good news is the help has been provided that there's someone who understands completely. I mean, you may be sitting there this morning thinking, 
people just don't get me. There's someone who understands. There's someone to act on your behalf. You may feel like, I don't have an advocate in this world. Nobody stands up for me. If I don't stand up for myself, nobody else is going to. There's someone that acts on your behalf. There's someone who came to save us and to keep us and to hold us. And his name is Jesus. And we need Jesus. And we need him all of the time. I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. And I want us to think about this morning as we look at these 10 verses at the first part of chapter 5 is that Jesus, our great high priest, meets our need to draw near to God because he can perfectly relate to us. That Jesus, our great high priest, meets our need to draw near to God, what we all need, a closeness with God. And the reason he can is because he perfectly relates to us. Now let's read these verses together. We'll take a moment to pray and then we'll We'll look at them as we spend time together in the Word. Chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of of Melchizedek. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your role as our great high priest. And God, we thank you for the treasure of your word and the opportunity we have to look at it, to study it together. Help us this morning in the moments we have to focus our hearts and our minds on the truth that you would have us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is the teacher that teaches to our needs, that knows our circumstances and understands. And so, Lord, we trust that what you have to say today is worth hearing because it comes from you. Use my words and the truth that you speak to speak to hearts and to change our lives for our good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we looked at the end of chapter 4, which was a transition point. The subject changed to Jesus and his role as the great high priest. And it's going to continue on for, for several chapters. And what was an introduction last week, chapter 5 begins to bring more detail to. To look at some of the, the qualities that would lead up to the selection of the high priest and the duties that the high priest would perform to enlarge the view of mercy and through it all the point toward Jesus who ultimately is the great high priest. And we'll learn as we look through these 
chapters that he's the only high priest that we we need. There's not a need for another priest in these days. He's better than all the priests that came before him, and he is qualified, willing, and more than able. But before we do that, let me just say a little bit about the structure, and and I'm not trying to be technical, and I'm not a technical person by nature, but this is important. Verses 1 through 10 in structure form a chiasmus. And you might be thinking, a kia what? Isn't that a car? Um, a chiasmus, what in the world is that? Well, let me try to explain. It's when you use words or grammar to unveil concepts, and the first part and the second part are like mirror images of one another. And so you'll have a list of things that are usually repeated in reverse order at the bottom. So you, you would imagine, you know, if you look at something in a mirror, you see things, you see the left side and the right side, and in the middle, it's the same, but on the outside, it's, it's different. So it goes from outside to inside, and they meet in the middle, and generally at the center, and that word just means X or cross, there is a main point. And the main point we have there talks about appointment, that both the human high priest and Jesus, the great high priest, were appointed by God. The only difference is one is better, and that's Jesus, and he's eternal, and he's the great high priest. And so as we look at the structure, you'll see that as we begin talking about every high priest that came before Jesus, it works toward the middle of being appointed by God. And then as we look at Jesus, the great high priest, it starts with him being appointed by God, and it works through to the fact that he is from an order that no other priest is from, and that being that of the mystery man, Melchizedek. So let's look. The first thing, the first four verses is about every high priest. It's the words that are right there in the text. And the first thing is that every high priest is from the people. It's right there in verse 1. Every high priest chosen from among men. So God made marvelous provision in his law for the needs of men and women. And he set apart and called certain men to be chosen from the people to serve in the office of priest. Now, the first high priest was the brother of Moses, Aaron, who was from the tribe of Levi. And every priest after that fact that was in this line, sometimes called the Levitical priest or the Aaronic priesthood, not Ironic priesthood, all of these men were descendants of this one man, Levi. Now, it's important to note that they were chosen from among men so that we understand that the priest was a human being. He was flesh and blood. He was one of the people. He was from the people. He was of the people. What does that mean? It means he knew the people around him. He knew their, their struggles. He knew the situations. He knew the relationships. He lived in the community. He, had an, he could identify with them, and he was familiar with them. Don't let those details escape, because we as New Testament believers who are priests of God through Christ have this responsibility to carry that message, and we need to know the people around us. We need to know the community, to understand it, to be familiar with it. But the priest was the representative or spokesperson for the people. He represented the group, the nation of Israel before God. 
he had to be able to relate to the people. He had to understand the law, and he represented them as a whole. And this started with Aaron, the high priest. The high priest was from the people, but also, you also see in verse 1, he was for the people. He was on their behalf. It's right there. Appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. He was an intermediary. Someone who was a a go-between. He stood between God and man. That's why one person said the high priest must deal with sinners as well as represent sinners. And his job, his function was to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He was in charge of the sin offerings, the burn offerings, the wave offerings, the offerings that were set about in the law. And his most important function took place on the most important day of the year, the Day of Atonement. And we'll look at that just briefly in just a moment. You can read about it more in your Bible. But it would be logical to assume that this person needed to know the people to be able to understand the problems and predicaments that they all shared together. But also it would be important for them to deal fairly with all the people, to not be too harsh on the people, but also to not be too lenient. And so verse 2 tells us that the high priest was also should be able to be gentle, to deal gently. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Now you may read that first part of that sentence. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward and think, okay, those are two classes of people that I cannot deal with. Because there are people around me that just don't get it. There's people that are not very smart and I'm smarter than they are. And, And sometimes our own pride and our arrogance well up inside us. But the second part of that verse balances it that that priest must be able to deal with them because, and by nature of the fact that they themselves are beset with weakness. Now that word, deal gently, one man describes it as the ability to find the middle ground between indifference and anger. You know, indifference is, well, I just don't care. They can do whatever they want to. And anger is, oh, it just frustrates me. You know, I can't believe they would do this. How could they be so foolish? The idea of not being too harsh toward those that are that are sinners and not callous toward moral acts where we just say, oh, well, you know, that's just what they're going to do. And the reason is because we're, as I said earlier, everybody's ignorant and wayward. We're all unaware of things that we need to know, and we're all misguided because far too often we're led by our own feelings, our own emotions, our own wisdom, and not God's wisdom. I think that should apply to us in our day as well. Not only should we know the people around us and know what their problems are, but we should also you know, realize that we have to walk this fine line, this middle ground between laxness and, and hardness, that we have to figure out the, the tension that exists between truth and love. That love is always truthful and truth is always filled with love. Now, none of us can do that on our own, but thank goodness the power of the Spirit is able to outdo, as it is in every circumstance, our own personality. 
So your personality may be prone toward not being really patient with folks, you know, that just don't get it. Or you may be somebody that's just so, you know, loving and forgiving. You just think, oh, it's okay. It'll just be better. But the Holy Spirit can help us to find that middle ground. And the reason is because we need to always be reminded that we are beset with weakness, just like the high priest was. That's how the high priest could find the proper way to minister was that he had to realize that he shared the same needs, the same struggles, the same weaknesses as the people around him. The Bible makes that really clear. It should. You know, we read in Isaiah 53 that we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. We've wandered. Romans 3 tells us we're all sinners. What does that mean? We all suffer from the same condition. You're not as holy as you think you are. You're not as perfect as you might hope to be. But you're surrounded by a group of people that are in the same predicament, the same boat. We're all sinners in need of a Savior at every moment of every day. And because of the high priest's weakness, not only could he relate to people, but also he had a need to make sacrifice for his own sins before he could make sacrifice for the sins of the people. Look at verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. Now Leviticus 26 tells us that he would take an unblemished bull and sacrifice it for his own sins, deal with his sin first, and then turn to the people's sin on that one great day, the day of atonement, where he would enter in only on that day into the most holy place of the tabernacle, of the temple, later on to make sacrifice for the sins of the people. It's interesting reading. If you're not afraid of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 16, you can read about it. But he would take two goats, they would cast lots, one goat would be sacrificed, as Leviticus says, for the uncleanliness and the rebellion of the people and whatever sins had been. The other goat's sins were confessed over, it was prayed over, and then that goat was set free to wander out in the wilderness, symbolizing the people's sins being carried away. And forgiveness would be extended for another year. But you always had to remember that this was God's temporary plan to cover sins for the people, it was never meant to be permanent. And this priest, even though he was supposed to be from the people and for the people, God set him apart. He was supposed to be different. He had to be able to identify with the people, but also he must had to live a life distinct from the people. See, when it came up to the time for another high priest, they didn't take nominations from the floor and inform a search committee. All right, it's time to go find our new high priest. What qualities are we looking for? No, and it wasn't a popularity contest. They were appointed by God. Verse 4, no one takes this honor for himself, so it's not a volunteer position, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So God called Aaron to be the first high priest. And the priests that followed after him were called in the same way. It's not a self-appointed position. It's a divine vocation, as one writer said. Let's be careful when we think about that. It wasn't a, a human institution, but it was something God initiated for the people. And God's original intent in the high priest was... 
to have God's man doing God's work for God's people. But by the first century, by the time of Jesus, the high priesthood became a, a political appointment, a favor given to those by the king, and it became corrupt, just like many other things left into the hands of men. But all those high priests, the one who walked in the early days, even those in the later days, were looking forward, pointing to someone who was yet to come. They were just shadows and imperfect reflections of what was coming. That through their imperfections, their limited abilities, and the temporary nature of their position, it left the people wondering, is there something better? Is there something better? And so we have every high priest, which points to, in verses 5 through 10, the great high priest. And you see 5 through 10 as the reverse images of verses 1 through 4. And while that image that we look back on is, is dim at best and needing detail, we see everything perfect in living color in full HD clarity in the person of Jesus. And what is general becomes specific. We have a very clear description of the high priest that we need. Just as the other priests, the priests after Aaron were appointed by God, the first thing we see is that Jesus was appointed by God. Verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. Also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. So he was called by God. Jesus always let people know that he was called by God. God, my Father sent me. I only do what I see my Father doing, and I live to do the will of my Father. He never sought his own glory, but the glory of God alone. Listen to his words. John eight fifty four. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. So simply put, God called Jesus to be our great high priest. To help us understand that, the author uses two quotations from the Old Testament. Again, two of his favorites, Psalm chapter 2 and Psalm 110. We looked at Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, early on in the first couple of weeks, where he says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is God's one and only son, full of all the attributes of God, the authority of God, worthy of the inheritance of all God has to offer. And Romans 1.4 tells us that he was declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So what was already true became evident to all who would believe through the wonderful testimony of his resurrection. Because he suffered, died, and was raised from the dead, it was made clear to all that believe in faith that he was the Son of God. So he says, just like that, in the same way that God proclaimed him to be son, he also calls him or proclaims him to be a priest forever. Psalm 110, verse 4, quoted in verse 6. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So while both Jesus and the human priests were called by God, only Jesus is called to this eternal priesthood. And he's from an order that's different from that of Aaron. And we'll look at more of that for a bit in verse 10 and then more when we get to chapter 7. 
But with the calling of God in his life, he had all the authority of God behind him. And with the sureness of his calling, his willingness to bring glory to God and the authority of God behind him, Jesus was committed to obedience even to the point of death on the cross. And he obeyed through suffering. And so the second thing is you see that he suffered for people, verse 7 and 8. And we looked at it earlier. The high priest of old could sympathize with people because they had a common ailment. But Jesus, the great high priest, could sympathize with people because he suffered on their behalf to the very fullest extent. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, so when Jesus walked on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Many commentators see this as a reflection of the experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does that mean? It means when you turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you read about Jesus in the Garden and the Gospels, you won't find this particular language speaking about Jesus, but it's clearly a, a, a reflection on what he went through. That while he was in the garden, he went through the agony and the trial of facing the cruel reality of death on a Roman cross. He faced the, the cup that he would have to drink, that cup of wrath, that cup of suffering. And he prayed diligently, earnestly, sweating drops of blood, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So there were prayers called out to God, to the one who was able to save him from death. It's your will, let this cup pass from me. God was able in that moment to save him, but he knew that his eternal plan was to bring redemption to the whole world. And so the cross would have to take place. And in the end, Jesus submits, as he always did to the Father's will, not my will, but yours be done. But then, strangely, it says God heard him. Well, how did God hear him? Because, obviously, he didn't save him in that moment because he went to the cross and he died. But it says because of his reverence, he heard him. Jesus declared himself obedient to the will of of the Father, and in the end, after the cross, after the buried tomb, God delivered him from death in his resurrection. He raised him from the dead, victorious, eternally alive. And then verse 8 continues with this theme of, of suffering. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. You can kind of relate to that particular sentence, at least in a small extent. I think we would be honest with ourselves that some of the greatest life lessons we would say we'll never forget didn't come through those moments of great success, but they come through those moments of failure and weakness. When we maybe declare for ourselves, well, I won't do that again. Or when we enjoy the, the blessing of, of forgiveness and reconciliation with someone, when we experience a second chance, 
when we walk through the road of suffering, we can learn a deeper level of obedience. But how could Jesus learn anything? Think about that. I mean, how could he learn anything? How could he learn obedience? I mean, is there anything he needed to learn? No. Was he ever disobedient? No. But why would he say he learned obedience? I think the idea here is that when Jesus walked the road that he walked, he always did it obediently. He did it perfectly, and that road led him to suffering and death on a cross. And he walked that path to obedience through suffering. And because he did, he can totally sympathize with any and all human suffering. Which means none of us ever has a right to say, nobody understands. Nobody's been where I've been. Maybe a human hasn't come across your path that does, but there is a God in heaven who has a son named Jesus who understands. He was obedient, he endured, he overcame And in the end, God heard his prayer and saved him from death by raising him from the dead. So he learned from his suffering, but also, verse 9, the sacrifice was provided. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now back to the high priest for just a second. He had to make sacrifice for his own sins because he was beset with human weakness. Jesus never sinned. So there was no need for him to make any sacrifice for his own sin. That high priest made a sacrifice continually as a covering for sin, but as we'll learn later in Hebrews, that blood of rams and bulls could never take away sins. Oh, that wonderful Savior that John looked on, walking there in Galilee and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He made it all the way to the end of God's plan on earth. He walked the road to the finish. Work finished. Job complete. That's what perfection here means, that it's completed work. Everything was satisfied just the way God intended it. And the end result of his suffering wasn't defeat. It was the victory. Suffering through victory, and as a result, he's the source of eternal salvation. It's very similar to chapter 2, verse 10, where it says he's, Jesus is the founder of our salvation. He's the originator. He's the one who walked the road. He blazed the trail that made a way for men and women to return to God. He's the champion who won the victory and extends his salvation to all who obey him. Now, your ears may perk up, your eyebrows may raise when you see that word obey. And you think, well, I thought it was about faith. I thought it was about trusting in Him. And I want us to think about it in this idea, that it's the obedience of faith. Because there is a constant tie between those two words, faith and obedience. They're they're inseparable Think about the song, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You can't divide one from the other. If you believe, you will obey. Read 
you know, the New Testament letters, that that obedience to God is a sign of belief. It's a proof of love. And so in this, we find that that Jesus is the source of eternal salvation to those who obey, to those who trust, to those who have faith. And it begins to just paint this wonderful picture of Jesus, our high priest. I mean, so far, we've, we've seen a few of those things, but it gets better, or, or maybe it just gets more interesting, or maybe it's a combination of both. But you know, those Levites were from, the, were the priests were the Levites, you know, those that followed after Aaron. But verse 10 gives us information that we'll have to wait for a while to get more detail unless you want to read ahead, and that's that Jesus is a priest, not from the Levites, but from the order of Melchizedek, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now that raises a lot of questions. Who in the world is Melchizedek? What does he have to do with Jesus as high priest? We'll find out more. But we need to make note of a few similarities. Both were king and priest together. You can read that about Melchizedek. We know it's true of Jesus. They're both king and priest. Both God appointed by himself. God said, you know, you are a priest. Both are called in different places king of peace and king of righteousness. It's just a few of the, the similarities. But the main thought here that we need to understand at this point is author saying is Jesus is the category all by himself. He's unique. He's the one and only Son of God. He is far above any other priest. He surpasses all the requirements. He checks all the boxes. He is more than qualified, supremely qualified, to be the great priest, the great high priest for all of us. Why? Because he understands walked in our shoes. He has acted on our behalf. He's for us. He's not against us. He's the one who saves us and keeps us. He's who we need, and we need Him all the time, just like we sang earlier. Because Jesus, our high priest, meets our need to help us to draw near to God because He perfectly relates to us. He's better than any human priest, and He's qualified, He's willing, and He's able. I just want to give you two, two ways that we make you apply some of this information to our, our lives. Um, we could just say, well, that's really cool. Um, we could you know, always say, well, Jesus is better, which I hope we always walk away saying. But I want us to think about two things. Um, first of all is the, the balance that we walk between truth and love built around the idea of dealing gently. How can we apply that to our lives? We see it you know, perfectly lived out in the life of Jesus. We see it as a requirement for the priest. But how can we deal gently with others? Some of us, let's just be honest, are truth tellers. That's not me. Um, you know, they just tell it straight up like it is. You know, if you've got a spot on your shirt, hey, you've got a spot on your shirt. You need to take care of that. You know, if your hair's messed up, hey, your hair's messed up. You know, they're not afraid to point things out. There are other people that are more subtle. 
Have you looked at your hair lately? You know, um, you know, maybe you might want to take a look at your shirt if you have a chance. You know, things like that. And there's some people that just completely ignore. You know, you know, they just look past it. And you know, while some of that is definitely um, personality driven, when it comes to us, you know, walking the road that we are as being a kingdom of priests, we need to find that balance between truth and love. You know, that love leads us to speak the truth of a situation, you know, always with compassion, always for, you know, the purpose of redemption. But also, you know, love kind of sets the boundaries for the way we share that truth. I mean, all of us would be honest, you know, there's a way to say things and there's a way not to say things. But if we allow ourselves to get a little frustrated, it always comes out the wrong way. And if we want to walk in the world that we live in, if we want to minister to the people that God wants us to reach, then we need to learn this balance of dealing gently. Why do they got a ring in their nose? You know, well, that's going to be a really big turnoff. You know, that's not going to work. You know, what's up with tattoos? Why do they act like that? Why are they different? You know, as we look out across the people that are ignorant and just and we just like we are, we need to look past the outside, this TV inside, feel gentle. But at the same time, not be afraid to speak truth. We can't ever shrink back from that. The truth must be told, but we can do it in love. So deal gently. And so that's the balance, truth and love. The other one is the balance that we walk on a daily life between faith and obedience. And this is the, the two camps. I'm going to follow the rules because these are the rules. And you have the other group, which is, I'm just walking by faith. And if we're not careful, we can make excuses on both ends and miss what God has. And that's that tension that pulls from both sides at the same time. See, our obedience doesn't earn us points with God. It doesn't get us into heaven. It's just simply the evidence that points to the fact that we have faith in God. And so while doing what God says is important, it's not what, you know, punches our ticket into heaven. But in the same way, we can't let, well, I've just got faith be an excuse for not doing things that God says. You know, there are practical workings that God gives us to do. Um, you really need to get those brakes fixed. Or something's going to happen. Well, I've just got faith. God's going to take care of me. You know, you really need to go to the doctor and get that looked at. Well, I've just got faith. I'm going to say, he'll take care of that. You know, you might get along for a while, but after a while, there are going to be inevitable, you know, consequences if we ignore those things. And so we have to be careful to walk those fine lines between truth and love and faith and obedience, because I truly believe God wants to use us as his children under the authority of the great high priest to be his kingdom of priests, lifting up prayers that make a difference, sharing the message that can bring transformation, offering love and mercy that can bring hope. Being a part of God's work to share the greatest news that was ever shared. Where does that start? It draw, starts with us drawing near to Jesus. God's made the way. He's busted open the door. He's tore down the curtain. He understands you when you feel like nobody else does. You can draw near to Him through 
You can draw near to God through Jesus anytime you want, anytime you need. And he's, in fact, the only priest that we need. Let's close by reading verse 16 again from last week. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. O Lord, as recipients of your grace, as discoverers of grace, help us to be the people that share your grace, that extend your mercy. Help us to not take lightly the authority and the ability that we have to walk with confidence into your presence, to bow at your feet, to kneel at your throne, to find grace for ourselves, and to plead for the grace and mercy that you extend to others. You're so helpful in our need. And Lord, help us to be loving and caring as we share that wonderful truth with others that have needs as well. Oh God, we love you. We thank you for your word and trust that it will speak way beyond the words that I've said. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jackie's going to come in just a moment and play quietly. Um, it'll be opportunity for us to respond. And you know, This is our time to take advantage of what Jesus has made possible. Draw near to God. You know, there's an old song, There's Not a Friend Like the Lowly Jesus. There's not a friend like, I can't remember anymore of it. Um, anyway, he cares about our struggles. Um, and he will be there when the day is over, when the day begins. And we can start right now by bringing our burdens before him, trusting in him, asking him to help us walk in truth and love and to find the balance between obedience and faith. As he plays quietly, we'll have opportunity to, to listen and respond. You can stay quietly where you're at. You can kneel. You can come to the front. Someone, if you need someone to pray, I'll be available. If you want to just have someone else pray for you, that's fine too. Maybe it's the day where you say, hey, I want to plant here, unite here in this fellowship as church home. Maybe it's the day that you think, well, gosh, I want to put my trust in this one who is the great high priest, is my Lord and Savior. Or maybe it's just laying your burdens down and trusting in God. Whatever he moves, speaks in your heart, just pray that you would do. We listen and we respond together.
step up there because the piano is tall and I don't have any other way to get Jackie's attention. So I'm back. But I didn't want to stay up there. So this is exciting. Um, I just, um, I have a hard time enough talking, but I'm, I'm so excited today it's even harder um, to talk. But um, Randall and Brenda, why don't you come come on up here. Um, most of y'all know Brenda. Well, if you don't know Brenda, you need to know Brenda but this is this is Brenda, and this is Brenda's husband. This is Randall, um, and Randall came today um, just to express um, his desire um, to be back in fellowship with God's people and to be a part of our church family. And um, and so um, we talked about that, prayed about it, and surprised Brenda didn't run up here, but I had to get Brenda up here, <laughs> and she's like. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, 
Well, that's okay. You made it in time. You made it in time. So, so anyway, um, Randall and Brenda Weir is super excited. And, um, you know, we, we see ourselves, you know, not only as a place to, you know, to minister to people, but a place where you minister, you know, to us. And so we're all needed. And so you have a, a value and a part in the body. And every, and so we are, we're so excited. Um, I'm so excited. Um, and just want to give you all opportunity. So Randall has, um, you know, just, um, we've talked about salvation. We've got that, that all checked off. But he is coming today um, just to express his desire to be a part of our, our church family. And so what would your pleasure be in receiving Randall? <laughs> Y'all all, well, we have a, we have a first from Brenda and a, and a, and a, a quarry of seconds. So everybody in favor, just say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And Randall and Brenda, um, I'll let y'all sit down in just a second, but after, after we finish singing, if you want to just come up here, I know folks are going to come by and just, um, and share excitement, shake your hands and share love. So the worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. And then after that, y'all can stand back up. That way you don't have to stand up here the whole time. But y'all can sit on the front row. Just want to thank y'all for, for worshiping today. It's been good to be in the, in the house of the Lord. It's, it's exciting to see God at work and moving and, um, just pray that God would use you in the places that you go this week as you share his love and you shine um, his light out. Um, we're going to sing, and then after we sing, if you want to express your you know, excitement, Randall and Brenda, they'll be available, or you're free to go. So let's stand, and let's sing together. This is amazing grace. This is amazing grace. 